6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. This series is entitled, Learn the Bible in 24 Hours. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his session entitled, Revelation Part 1. Okay, we are now in hour 22 of Learning the Bible in 24 Hours, and we're going to address the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And for a number of reasons that will become evident, I think this is the high ground of the Bible in some respects, and it's certainly, the book of Revelation is one of the favorite books of anyone that takes the Bible seriously. And secondly, it is... Um, the most relevant parts of the book of Revelation for you and me is the chapters 2 and 3. So this is, a, this is going to be fun stuff as we go here. We've gone through the whole New Testament, of course, the, the, what I call the five Gospels, using Luke, Volume 1, and Volume 2. Uh, Acts is the Volume 2, so to speak. We went through the 13 epistles that are ascribed to Paul. We went through the eight epistles that are the so-called uh, Jewish Christian epistles. But now, we come to that book which among all the other books ties it all together. Everything that started in Genesis is wrapped up in the book of Revelation. In fact, one of the most astonishing discoveries that I hope you're in the process of making as we do these things is to recognize, discover the unity of the entire package. 66 books penned by 40 guys over virtually 2,000 years and yet it's integrated in its design. There are aspects throughout the book that anticipate what needs to be there in order for Revelation to make sense. And so here we go. It's interesting that the Old Testament, of course, Christ appears in prophecy. In the Gospels, Christ appears in history. In the book of Acts, Christ appears in the church. And of course in the epistles, we see Christ in actual experience. And then, of course, in the Apocalypse, we're going to see Christ coming in glory. So in a sense, the Old Testament said, Behold, He comes. The Gospels say, Behold, He dies. Acts says, Behold, He lives. Epistles, Behold, He saves. And we're going to see, Behold, He reigns. Christ is actually going to reign in this book. Anyone that wants to deny that has huge problems with Revelation. That's why many pastors try to avoid the book, because it... It confronts some issues they're not prepared to deal with. I want you to first to notice the name of the book. It's a singular, not plural. You often, for some reason, you always see people say revelations. Whenever you hear, when you hear that S, when you see it as a plural, you know immediately they have never taken a study of the book. They, all they know it's somehow a collection of visions, so that's why they think it's plural. No, it's singular. It is the unveiling. The word revelation, the apocalypse, means the unveiling. And uh, it is the consummation of all things. It's the only book in the Bible that has the audacity to say, read me, I'm special. 
No other book of the Bible has the chutzpah, if I can use the Jewish term, to say, read me, I'm better than the other guys. Lots of places in the Bible it says, search the scriptures, study the word of God, all those broad, the, the phrase always embrace the whole thing. This is the only book that says, hey, read me and you are entitled to a very special blessing. So if you're really in the mood for a blessing, no matter how down you are, no matter what you're doing, if you need just, you just, one of those days you need a blessing, stop, read the book of Revelation. Doesn't take long, it's not a big deal. Watch what happens. Now one of the reasons the book is such a mystery to so many is because they haven't done their homework. Most Christians don't know their Old Testament. The book of Revelation consists of 404 verses that include allusions to over 800 items from the Old Testament. In other words, two to one. It's two to one. For every verse in Revelation, there's, in effect, two allusions to the Old Testament. So if the book seems strange to our ears, it's because we haven't spent time in the Old Testament. The more you know your Old Testament, the more comfortable this book reads. It is, of course, the climax of God's plan for man. And that's exciting for lots of reasons. Let's read just the first sentence. The revelation, singular, of Jesus Christ. What is it revealing? Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Whoops, wait a minute, time out. God gave this to whom? Jesus. If this sounds a little strange, look who the addressee is. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. There was a time in Mark 13, verse 32, no man knows the day nor the hour, not the angels of heaven, not the Son, but the Father only. Strange verse. At least at that time, at that moment. The Father knew when Jesus was coming back, He was the only one that did. Whoa, we're on dangerous ground here. You mean there's things the Father knew the Son didn't? I thought they all knew all things. Yeah, I guess so, but that's part of the mystery. It could be that he didn't then, he knows now. I don't know that. You know, I, I, I'm not going to quibble with those things, but I just highlight it for your own re consideration. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, why? To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. That word shortly is actually antaxi in the Greek. It's the word from which we get the word tachometer. Shortly or quickly in the sense of speedily. It doesn't mean it's going to happen the day after tomorrow. It means when these things start happening, they're going to follow tightly. That's really what the, 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 the Greek implies. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God given him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it, rendered it into signs. Information signers would say he rendered it into semims. Signs, idioms, whatever. He sent and signified it by his angel or messenger unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the, of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. That he saw. Not that he thought or dreamed up. 
These were things that he wrote down that what he saw. So we're going to see visions. We're going to see many idioms, strange ones perhaps. But these are things that were visual. And they're not necessarily just three-dimensional. But we'll move on. Verse 3 is the verse you want to claim tonight. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Praise God. I'm reading and you're listening, so we're both in good shape. That doesn't mean everything I say is correct. You've got to check that out. But it does mean that if we do this with sincerity and commitment, that a blessing is in store. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. Not history, prophecy. And it continues, John, now it reads like a memo, a corporate memo, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Whew. So John is going to put up in front of this document a cover letter. And he's addressing this cover letter to seven churches. We're going to get into those seven churches when we get to the next chapter. But this is sort of a front-end cover note, if you will. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. The word Asia there doesn't mean Asia as you and I think of it. It's the Roman province of Asia, which today is that region that we generally associate with Turkey, if you will. The Roman province of Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him. Now, now we have a strange set of addresses. Him which is, which was, and which is to come. Who is that? God the Father. And from the seven spirits which are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Okay, with this first guy, him which is, which was, and which is to come, could mean any of several things. Jehovah, if you will, or Yahweh, or Yotevavhe, however you want to say it, or God the Father. That's, what, that's a possibility. And then we have Dan Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Great. But we have this strange phrase between these two. The seven spirits which are before his throne. If you're a New Testament reader, that sounds strange to your ears. If you know your Old Testament, who is it talking about? The Holy Spirit. So you have the Trinity here. I want you to notice here in Jesus Christ, there's three labels. Faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, prince of the kings of the earth. You'll discover that in chapter 1, there are 24 titles of Jesus Christ, and they're all used as identities somewhere else in the book. So you enter, as you're, if you're a computer programmer, this is like the data division. These are the data definitions. So if Jesus Christ is the, is the uh, faithful witness... If later on I'm talking about the faithful witness, you know who I'm talking about. You see, it's, a, it's linkages that are being set up here. Just like, this is, the book of Revelation is obviously written by a computer programmer. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, there's a passage that wouldn't be familiar to your ears unless you have studied Isaiah 11. But it's, there he speaks of the spirit of Jehovah, or yad heh vav -Heh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is the sevenfold spirit of the term that you and I would call the Holy Spirit. He's a he. 
It's a person. That's what really is in view. So we really have here a salutation by John that comes from the Trinity in a form that you're probably not familiar with. But let's move on. See, we have actually seven spirits listed here. This is the sevenfold spirit of what you and I would lump together as the Holy Spirit. And he continues, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whew. John can sure pen it. But I want you to notice an interesting phrase here. He hath made us what? Kings and priests. That is very non-Levitical. The only people that are kings and priests was Melchizedek, Jesus Christ, and who else? You and me, if we're in the church, because of this verse right here. We're going to encounter 24 elders. It's, going to be, it's important to understand who the 24 elders are. We'll get to there. We'll deal with that when we get there. In chapter 1, we're not going to go through the whole thing verse by verse. That'll take some time. We'll do that separately. But the vision of chapter 1 has seven key features. The hair on his head, his eyes, his hair on his head is the same as the one in Daniel 7. His eyes, which show up in Hebrews chapter 1 and 4. Is it like a flame of fire in 1 Corinthians, also in Malachi. His feet, which is a symbol of the walk, are brass, which speaks of judgment. Remember the brazen serpent in Numbers 21? His voice is as of many waters. Ezekiel uses that phrase several times in chapter 1 and chapter 43. Daniel uses that phrase in chapter 10. These are idioms that speak of Jesus Christ, but from the Old Testament labeling, if you will. He has seven stars in his hand, yet he's in the midst of the lab stands. So there's a strange double meaning here. He's in the midst, and yet we're in his hand. See, we are in his hand, in one sense, and yet he's also in the midst of us. Sounds contradictory, and geometrically it would be, but idiomatically it's not. You with me? His, out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. Hebrews does that, Ephesians, Isaiah 49, so forth. He judges the unbeliever in John 12 by his mouth. The earth is smitten in Isaiah 11 by his mouth. The Antichrist is consumed in 2 Thessalonians by his mouth. And his countenance is as the sun, as Matthew 17 at the Transfiguration demonstrates. So there are these seven features of Jesus Christ as he shows up in chapter 1. This is John seeing the vision of Christ, and this is his recording of that vision using mostly idioms from the Old Testament. Then we get to verse 19. The book of Revelation is very generous to us because it gives us the outline of the book. Most books, when you sit down to study them, you have to figure out what the outline is. That's your first step to try to understand the book. Revelation gives it for you in verse 19. John has said, told, write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be metatauta, hereafter, or after these things. These are three categories. The vision of Christ in chapter 1 are the things which, John, you have seen at this point. Right? Right, the things which are. What, what exists at that moment? These seven churches that are going to be so prominent in the next two chapters. And then, the things which shall be hereafter, or metatauta is the Greek term, 
which follows after the churches. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts out with the words metatauta, after these things. So verse 19 breaks the book down into three parts. Chapter 1, which you've just seen. Chapters 2 and 3 that we're going to deal with shortly. And then the rest of the book from chapter 4 on, we'll deal with that in our next session. We're going to focus now on chapters 2 and 3, which are among the most fascinating in the book. They're usually overlooked by many people skimming through the book. They're probably, in many, I've studied the book for 50 years, the most fascinating part of the book in many respects is chapters 2 and 3. There's more stuff hidden there that people miss. But anyway, continue chapter 1 for a moment. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand are the seven golden lampstands. Okay, Jesus himself, the book all the way through, for the most part, identifies the idioms for you. These lampstands, translated candlesticks in the old King James, but fine. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, colon. The seven stars are the messengers or angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands which thou sawest are the seven churches. Are we together? I want you to notice that these lampstands in chapter 2 and 3, he's among them. They're on the earth. Chapter 4, you'll discover they're in heaven. Notice those things as we go. Okay, the seventh churches, these are the things that are. The first question is, why these seven? As you go through these, this list of seven, they're strange names. Ephesus is familiar to us, but Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Why those seven churches? Those are weird. Why those seven? Why did Jesus write those? What happened to the church at Jerusalem? What about the church at Antioch that was the headquarters for the Gentile outreach? What about Iconium, Lystra, Derby? All these, other, all these churches you read about next, they're not here. Why these seven? You need to figure that out. Furthermore, something else that's interesting, each of the seven letters has a phrase in it. There's one phrase that's in common to all seven letters. Each letter has this peculiar little code word. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It may surprise you that these seven letters have at least four levels of meaning. Four levels of meaning. Levels of application. First of all, they really were local churches. This strange phrase that we see in the seven letters occurs, by the way, seven times elsewhere in the New Testament. An interesting exercise to track down every other place that that occurs. Seven times, not by accident. But let, let, let's not go far, too far afield, I'll never make it here. Sir uh, William Ramsey, with great effort over many years, researched these seven churches and discovered they really were churches, they really had these kinds of problems. So there is a practical, immediate, local reason for the letter. Good. Okay. There are actual churches. But there's another level. Admonitory. You notice what this says? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
He doesn't say, listen to the church, listen to the letter that applies to your church. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're in Philadelphia, you want to know what the Spirit said to Laodicea, etc. You follow me? So there's, it's admonitory. There's advice here for churches in their leadership. We're together? Okay. He that hath an ear. How many of you in the room have an earlobe? Can I see a show of hands? Okay. If your hand is up, it's written to you. It's personal. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is also, it applies, it applied locally, historically. It applied as admonition to churches in general. It also applies to you personally to understand the dilemma and the solution uh, each of these seven letters. Well, that's all pretty straightforward stuff. Let me show you the surprise. This also, these letters, lay out a history of the church. This is the most amazing part of these letters, and if they were in any other order, this wouldn't happen. In the order they're in, once you understand the letters, it's astonishing, because they lay out seven periods of church history with some surprising precision. Each letter has seven design elements. If you, when you study these seven things, you'll, each one has, there's a name of a church, and you'll discover the name of the church turns out to be significant to its message. Each church has a specific message, a specific theme, if you will. The name of the church turns out to be relevant to that. The title that Jesus Christ uses of himself is different for each letter, and it's appropriate to the mission of that particular church, or the, 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 the issues that face that church. Then there's a commendation. Hey guys, here's your report card. Here's what you got an A in. Then there's some areas of concern, and there's exhortation. It's like a report card. Let me tell you something that's really interesting about the seven letters in advance. Every church is surprised. The churches that thought they were doing great were doing terribly. The churches that thought they were doing terribly were doing great. You know, that's sobering. People like to organize church, you know, by watching the first century. I wouldn't do that. First century is all screwed up. <laughs> Everybody there is surprised. If you want to you design church governance, go to the Scripture. Go to the book of Acts. Go to, this, go to these seven letters and so forth. Anyway, there's seven things. I said there's the name of the church, title of Christ, the accommodation, a concern, and exhortation. And then there's a promise to the overcomer. There's a specific little prize for the overcomer. And the seventh element is this weird little phrase. It's almost like it's the close of the letter. It's sort of like a closing passage. Except it's not always closing. There's something very, that most people miss that I want to show you, and I think it's very significant. So these are seven elements. And we hear the churches. We have Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Each one ha name means something, and then uh, and we'll go through. Then each one has a title of Christ, and so forth. Let's take the first one. The letter to Ephesus. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and walketh in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. The name Ephesus means darling. Darling. 
It's a term of courtship. These things saith he, Jesus Christ, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He gives them a commendation. I know thy works. Oh, that's wonderful to hear, Lord. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and thou, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my namesake has labored and hast not fainted. Woo-wee! That's A plus in that category. Done good, guys. You may recall in Acts chapter 20 when Paul gave his farewell address to the Ephesian elders. He warned them that there was going to be wolves coming among you that's going to not spare the flock. Remember, he warned about false teachers and so forth. Apparently, Paul's advice was heeded. They apparently were terrific. They did not allow false doctrine. They tried them, which they, their apostles, and are not, and found them liars. They did a good job with doctrine. They were sharp. They were orthodox. They were also patient. They labored, persevered. Terrific. Well done, guys. Whoops. Nevertheless. You're before your boss. Your boss says, man, you've really done great. You did this, 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 this. You're feeling pretty good. Your thumb goes under your suspenders or whatever. Then your boss says, nevertheless, ooh. I mean, that's deflating. Pink slips in his right hand. I mean, you just see it coming, right? Nevertheless, heavy word right here. Jesus saying to them, after all this good stuff, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast, what? Left thy first love. Heavy stuff. They were so busy on the business of the king, they had no time for the king. Are you so busy in ministry, helping the poor, doing all this stuff, that you don't have time for personal devotions? Miss the real point. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Missler. For a complete listing of resources available, please contact the station or go to khouse.org. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Until next time, may God richly bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.